Hey, this is Kate. I'm a forensic psychologist and crisis clinician, and I collect stories. Everything from true crime to trauma to parenthood. There's a lot more in common between depression and sociopathy, or between serial killers and podcasters, than you might think. Are you sure you really want to know? This is Ignorance Was Bliss at iwbpodcast.com and iwbpodcast on social media. Fair enough. Christy, the microphone picks you up. I know you're just talking to yourself, but... Now you're talking to everybody. Okay, seriously. <laughs> We're trying to do something here. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the picture show with Austin and Phil Rude. I am Phil Rude. I'm the dad. I'm Austin Rude. I'm the son. Every week we watch a movie and then we talk about it. Yes, we do. We do. And we watched a movie this week. But first. First. What else did you watch this week? Watch, read, look at. Right. Think about. I mean, you got some, you got some big news this past week. I do. I got a job. Got a job. No longer a freeloader. Working man. Yep. That's right. Um, uh, which means there's less time for watching things, actually. So did you not get anything watched? You did some Mandalorian I, this week, right? I did. Yeah, I came back. Yeah? Um, <laughs> came back for more? Nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so far, it's holding up. Cool. It's still good. Cool. cool. They haven't good ruined stuff. it with fan service yet. I haven't, I haven't watched any of it yet. I'm waiting to get a few more episodes in the bank. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Because I watched the second episode and then I was like, I want more. Oh, and there's I'm, no more to watch. I'm caught up. What do I do now? This is, Disney Plus knows it's the only thing we care about on there. So they're just you milking they, you it. You think they're milking it out a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. Probably. Probably. Other than that, I don't think anything else. No? No. All right. I'm a working man. TV? That's for chumps. That's for, that's for uh layabouts in and uh i'm a 20 year old look at you go well that's very very cool yeah put some scratch in your pocket i am excited nice what about you uh yeah still just more breaking bad um i got a a graphic novel i've been meaning to check out i got that this week it's called uh jim henson's tale of sand Right. It's uh, it's based. It, it it's essentially an unproduced screenplay that Jim Henson wrote in the '60s or '70s, um, that was never made and basically kind of unearthed maybe ten years ago, and they turned it into a graphic novel. I think it's Ramon Perez did the the art on it. So it was on the shelf for like thirty years. Yeah, I don't know if it was in his archives and and his uh, the people who run his archives. I think it's his kids still are very involved with that stuff but um yeah i'm not sure the specifics of of it but it was something he wrote and was never made and then uh i haven't i haven't gotten deep into it i kind of flipped through it the art is beautiful and um and the story is kind of interesting so far 
Uh, I'm, I'm hoping to maybe this evening sit down with it for a little bit longer. I, I think that's a unique way to do it because a graphic novel, that's sort of a cheaper alternative to a movie. Sure. It costs less to put together, at it, least. Y- yes. Um, the, the idea th- that some people find um, with making comics is you can do anything you want to. You, you're not limited by a budget. You know, right. you can, if you want to no have CGI. a giant, you know, spaceship battle, you can just, you just draw it, you know, like it is. Which you, I mean, that in itself is a talent. Sure, but... you're limited by your, your skill, but you're not limited by, by budget constraints or, or a studio. It It is a more singular vision. Too. Right. I, I can um, draw a comic with super cool action but don't make me draw a scene with hands that's yeah, well you know rob liefeld made quite a career out of that so um <laughs> there's but, workarounds uh yeah that's what that's why that's why pants and jackets have pockets i love you, pockets you, you just put them um put that in there but uh no this was something that came out a long time ago it was on my radar i always meant to um to check it out and i never did and then uh, a week or two ago, uh, illustrator named Matt Sargent, Matthew Sargent, uh, brought it up in a Facebook thread that I was in. And I was like, oh, I've been meaning to check this out. And he's like, no, you totally should. So uh, the- thank, thank you, Matt, for, for bringing it back around to my attention and, uh, and spurred me to pick it up finally. I think that's really cool that, like... You know, there are things we know about, like there might be a show you've heard about a billion times, sure. but then like someone you trust says something about it and that's the final push. Well, yeah. I mean, in this case, it was a reminder. Um, you know what I mean? Like yeah. in, in the same way that like you're watching The West Wing, which is a show I have always meant to sit down and watch. Have um, you never watched it? I've, I've seen episodes here and there. I've seen bits and pieces. I like it a lot. I like Aaron Sorkin, despite what people think of him now. I that's um, what I thought with the Aaron Sorkin fanboy. I thought uh, you would have watched. I've it. never uh, sat down and and watched the whole thing, but I've always meant to. And every so often, somebody I know is watching it, and I go, "Oh, a new reminder! I should sit down with this." And yeah, I still haven't. Um, <laughs> but um, it's a lot to get through, to be honest. But, but. Uh, you know, speaking of Aaron Sorkin, we. Watch some Aaron Sorkin business this week. Is this uh, it, movie it Aaron... co-written by Aaron Sorkin? Yes. Oh wow. Um, I I couldn't tell there wasn't a long scene where they're walking down a hallway talking. Uh, no, there wasn't one long scene of that. There were several scenes of walk and talks. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna get into. Were there? Of him I it, walking, it wasn't as walking through the clubhouse. Walking there was yeah. There's a lot I guess. of there's a lot of movement as dialogue is happening okay but the dialogue is straightforward anyway um yeah this week we watched the 2011 sports uh sports drama slash biography slash uh, number uh, math porn um (laughs) uh, moneyball uh this is a movie in which oakland a's manager billy bean attempts to put together a winning baseball team on a lean budget Using computer-generated statistics analysis systems. Uh, I it's should, a mouthful. I really should have written that better. Uh, this movie stars Brad Pitt, Jonah Hill, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Chris Pratt, Robin Wright, 
and Joe Satriani as Joe Satriani. Just a quick cameo. I don't know who that is. He's the guy on the guitar playing the national anthem on opening day. Okay. I'm like, oh, it's Joe Satriani. That's very weird. Um, But uh, this movie is directed by Bennett Miller and written by Steve Zalian and Aaron Sorkin, based on a book by Michael Lewis. Um, Before we get into... This was my pick. uh, Right. But before we get into that, I want to talk about... Um, you know, Aaron Sorkin, of course, like we're going to come back around to that, but I didn't realize like Steven, uh, Zalian, Zalian, Z-A-I-L-L-I-A-N, Zalian, I don't know. Um, but this guy has written some like powerhouse movies. What, uh, what else has he done? I was really, really shocked when I was looking at this. It, I mean, this goes way back. He wrote... Uh, he was a creator of and writer of the HBO series, um, like a mini series called "The Night of," in which a uh, uh, a young man is arrested for a murder he didn't do, and it is sort of a examination of the prison system and right how that makes criminals. Basically, uh, he wrote "The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo," the the American adaptation that David David Fincher made. He wrote this. He wrote uh, American Gangster. He wrote Gangs of New York. He wrote Hannibal. He wrote... Uh, like the show Hannibal? No, the movie Hannibal. The the sequel to okay, Silence okay. of the Lambs. Uh, he wrote some... Uh, he wrote Schindler's List. He wrote Searching for Bobby Fischer. There's a lot. Awakenings, uh, Falcon and the Snowman. And he wrote The Irishman from last year, um, which is slightly divisive, but I really think the biggest problem with that movie is the thing everybody complains about is just that it's a super long movie but i mean love it or hate it it's a big movie yeah Um, i i haven't seen most of those movies but i recognize almost all of them they're big kind of iconic movies so and i just i had never really heard his name before and it's like oh my god this guy is like behind some to, to put it all together. Some really huge movies that are, I mean, something like American Gangster, I'm sure we're going to watch at some point on the show because that's a great movie that I want to talk about. It's yeah. actually on my movie bucket list. Is it really? I think so. Wow. That's uh, that's wild because I always feel like that's a really overlooked uh, Ridley Scott movie. Uh, but man, it's so good. It's such a great like crime saga kind of thing, you know. I'll take your word for um, it. Yeah, until uh, I see yeah, it we'll, and then disagree with you. We'll get to it down the road, but um, yeah, uh, that's just kicking off uh, something cool about this movie, and then of course the Aaron Sorkin connection. Right. That that's interesting because I kind of I was analyzing the writing of this movie partly as we were watching sure. it. Yeah, it's got a very interesting structure. It's different than most sports movies, I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would kind of argue this is not necessarily a sports movie. Yeah, there's, it doesn't really follow the playing of the game very much. It, it does and it doesn't. Let's, I mean, uh, let me throw it to you because you're not a sports guy. Yeah. Were you bored by this movie? What Did this lose you in any way to where you weren't interested in this movie? I wasn't bored... But I did need, like, a little coaching to be like, okay, this is what's going on. Sure. Uh, 
Like, I kept asking you a few times, like, what's this mean? What's going on it here? wasn't a lot. There was just a couple, I think, ids and outs of, of baseball that you didn't get. Yeah, well, part of the thing with sports movies is they assume you know the game. Right. Um, I've talked about it, I think, on here before, but the, the movie Invictus, uh, which is about the end of apartheid in South Africa and all of these other things, and, and it's sort of... Uh, revolves around like the metaphor is all wrapped up in like this rugby game you know yeah and and this this big pivotal game that everything leads up to and takes up this big chunk of the end of the movie i don't understand the rules of rugby i've never played it i've never watched (laughs) it i'm just sitting there going i i feel no tension because i can't understand what's happening within the game yeah you know so it, it just I understand how if you don't understand a sport, sometimes it can leave you um, kind of flailing. Uh, but I don't think this is so much about like the technical aspect of the sports. It's so much like behind the scenes kind of things. Right. I I think all good sports movies aren't actually about the game that's being played. There's sure. stuff on top of it. And then that's just kind of... Uh, like, it's, how they get it across. It's the, the metaphor, you know? Yeah. I mean, they talk about metaphor. They This movie is interesting because it points out... There's almost a meta text to it, I think. Right. Like, at the end when Pete tells Billy... You know, he t- shows him the, the, the fat couch catcher who is afraid to round first. A- accidentally hit a home run and doesn't know it, you know? And he's, <laughs> he's telling him, like, this is a metaphor. And he goes, yes, I know it's a me- like, and it's also like telling us it's a metaphor. And yeah. then there's uh, another part I, re- I wrote down in here. Um, uh, it's patter. It's for effect. David Justice, when he's in the batting cage and Billy goes down and talks to him, you know, about being a team leader and, and things like that. And he starts talking to him and, and, uh, and Justice goes, I know, I know your game. It's all patter. It's all for effect. Like he's pointing out how Billy talks to people. And it's almost like Aaron Sorkin pointing out, yes, this is how I write dialogue. Yes, it is all patter. It's kind of poking it fun is, at himself. It is rhythmic and it is for effect. We understand this isn't how people actually talk. You know, like, it's, yeah. And I think there's this weird meta thing that runs throughout this, this movie that I found really interesting and I didn't pick up on the first time I saw it. I... I don't know. I didn't really pick up on that too much. Yeah. Uh, I was more focused on, are they actually going to win? Which, of course, they are, because we're following a movie about them, but... Well, they are, and they aren't. They lose the overall game. They, they win... They lose the season, right. They win metaphorically. On principle. They, they, they win do, the principle. They do change things. Yes. yes. Um... And, and that is sort of brought home. I mean, they, they kind of have to, that's almost like a postscript to this movie. You know, yeah. like they just come up with a text on the screen and go, <laughs> oh, the Red Sox used a system in one. And it's like, well, yes, they did. But also the Red Sox had like 10 times the budget that the Oakland A's had. You know, at the same time, they weren't playing with the numbers that the, that the Oakland team was playing with. Exactly. You know. Um, uh, I... I actually want to compare this. Uh, here's something I forgot to mention. I actually did watch this this week. 
The Queen's Gambit. Ah, I have heard really good things from a lot of people, and I've been really interested to see it. It is good. Uh, It's a Netflix original miniseries about a chess prodigy um, who kind of revolutionizes the chess world in, like, the 70s and 80s. Um, And I know nothing about competitive chess. I know the rules of chess, but she plays so fast, and it's like... There's all of these techniques that she's using that I don't understand. Sure. But you don't need to understand it to follow the story because the story isn't about chess. It's about addiction. It's about competition. Okay. It's It's about overcoming things. So really, it could be a movie about anything. Right. Chess is the framing device? Yeah. Okay. It's kind of the same here. Uh, it's a bit different because the rules are connected to the metaphor here but right this is a movie about i mean this is a based on a true story this is based on a a book uh that explains sort of the ins and outs i don't think the book is the story necessarily Mm -hmm. as narrative as it's presented here i haven't read it but my understanding is that it's more of like a book about how the system works yeah you know um but Yes, I think this is a movie about baseball, but the themes are bigger than that. You know what I mean? It's it's thematically not about baseball. The The narrative that's presented is about so many other things. But this is more like, like we're saying, it does take a little bit of understanding of the game of baseball. Right. Because it's just the, sort of the mechanics entangled. of how it works. Right. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, to to bring it to chess, uh, that was one of the uh, the credits of uh, I already forgot his name. Uh, Z- Zalian, uh, Stephen Zalian was uh, searching for Bobby Fischer, which is about a chess prodigy. It, it is, uh, yeah. Bobby Fischer was a a like chess champion, I guess. Uh, and this is about a little boy who plays chess. I've never seen the entire movie. I thought I've that movie was like a crime. Um, uh mystery i wonder what you're thinking of i don't know uh (laughs) (laughs) definitely not that though no i don't think it's about uh uh maybe that little boy goes on a rampage oh he Um, loses and just goes (laughs) berserk this movie uh do we want to talk about why you picked it because we did uh, kind of skip over that yes that's what i want to try and and jump into (laughs) this movie is uh, uh it's on this sort of list of movies of things that I shouldn't movies that I shouldn't find interesting, but I do like this movie is much more interesting than it has a right to be. This is why I am an Aaron Sorkin fan is because this is what he does. This is what he does. Well, uh, the other, a couple other movies I have on this list are the social network and Molly's game. Both of them Sorkin, screenplays i i haven't seen molly's game but uh molly's game i think is is directed by sorkin as well but it is about a woman who runs like a high stakes illegal poker game um i thought it was a stephen king no that's gerald's game okay which is totally different yes much different okay um Uh, and much more disturbing (laughs) (laughs) that's why i was like uh what aaron sorkin but yeah molly's game is about uh uh gambling um, the social network is about computer programming. Uh, 
both of these things are about neither of those things, but that's what it is on the surface. So you, you're just sort of like, how, how good can this be? And actually, they're very entered. I love the social network. I think the social network is a great, great movie. It's uh, a very good drama. It's it's a great drama. It's about uh, it's about likability. It's about intellectual property. It's about all of these things, but it's centered around this very uh, dramatized version of actual events. And I think this is probably. Probably not super accurate either. But in order to make it a narrative, I think Sorkin takes a lot of artistic liberty. Well, you kind of have to do that. Any accurate uh, movie based off real life events is going to suck. Because it's... Most of the time, yeah. Real life doesn't have, like, that narrative climb. Or or the neat ending. Yeah. Um. Sorkin is catching a lot of shit right now about uh, the trial of the Chicago 7, which is his new Netflix thing. Um, for, I've heard about it. For what? historical inaccuracies. And it's just sort of oh. like, I feel like we have gone through this with things like the social network where people were coming out and going, hey, you know, he didn't really make it because he was mad at a girl who snubbed him. And it's like, yes, we, we understand that's not really where Facebook came from. Like... It's still a good movie. We understand it's not historically accurate. It's yeah. It would be like looking at Hamilton and going, you know, Alexander Hamilton was really a white guy. Yeah, you know, it's... It's it's just sort of like such a pointless... Um, you, you can't take it as 100% accurate. There, there's liberties taken for the sake of the narrative. But yeah, on, on the note of artistic liberty, we all understand it's all kind of up in the air. Um... But it's for the sake of the story. And that's where this all comes together. Is he's able to weave, I think, a good story and tell it compellingly. And have it be about bigger themes. Yeah, I would say that's fair. That's why I like these movies. This is a movie about numbers. This is a movie about guys who crunch numbers behind a baseball. Baseball, which is like notoriously (laughs) the slowest moving professional sport that a lot of people... Uh, don't enjoy anymore because it just moves too slow for our attention spans. You know, like, mm-hmm. and somehow this is a super compelling movie that I really enjoy. Well, I mean, this movie crams a whole year of baseball into two hours, pretty much. Yeah, uh, 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 two, two hours is, uh, gives us a season, including the recruiting of new players, which right. is, you know... Uh, I understand there are a lot of people who watch professional sports drafts on TV, you know, and some people are very compelled by that. But to watch a movie about it just seems (laughs) weird. Uh, Another movie I I would argue, and this one isn't based on real life, uh, is a movie called Draft Day with Kevin Costner from a couple years ago about the professional football draft. Sure. Um, It's not a great movie. It's edited in this really gimmicky and annoying way. But there's something about that movie, and I know that movie has a lot of haters. Uh, If you don't like that movie, don't at me. I'm just saying my opinion. I found that movie very compelling, especially since I don't watch football a whole lot anymore. I was always only like a casual fan. I never watched the draft. I pay zero attention to it. 
And I was still really compelled by this weird millionaires trading players behind the scenes. You know, a, a lot like this is. It wasn't as good as this. But there is just something about watching that portrayed in an interesting way that I it really compels me. I, I'm I, not sure what it is. I can't speak to that because I don't. I haven't seen that. But um, just on the issue of this movie is a lot about the behind the scenes of sports. Like I don't even follow sports, but there's like. I know the basics of sports. That's mm-hmm. like something everyone pretty much knows. Uh, and then it's like the behind the scenes. It's like the man behind the curtain. Right. Uh, and that's just a whole nother world that I think even some sports fans don't know. Sure. I, I wouldn't, uh, you know, I have no idea how accurate this is. There a big room with all the scouts in it where they're sitting there arguing about things that don't matter. You know, right. like... Um, His girlfriend's ugly. Right. Oh, God, that's such a great scene. But um, uh, another thing I would compare this to, you said it's a numbers movie. Right. Uh, I kept thinking of The Martian during this. Uh, a little bit, yeah. That that book is so much more about numbers than the movie ended up being. But essentially, yeah, yeah you're watching you're watching him crunch numbers uh, throughout that. Yeah. I, I don't know. It was a weird comparison, but... Well, I would put that on another uh, Matt Damon movie. It was Good Will Hunting is about therapy and math. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, <laughs> but it's not really about that, but that's what everything is sort of surrounding this this kid who's, you know, yeah. being psychoanalyzed, court-ordered psychoanalysis, and high-level Ivy League uh, <laughs> uh, calculus. Like, it's... it's I, like, why Why is this compelling to watch Matt Damon do a math problem that I will never understand? Guys, we've cracked the code. <laughs> Matt Damon? No, no. <laughs> no, we've cracked the code. Movies are about things, but they're actually about other, other things. Other things, yes. Do you, like poetry. Do you have any other movies that are about boring things that you find compelling? I can't think of any. Uh, do you have I, any other do you have any other sports movies that you enjoy despite not being a sports fan? Not really. I think, like, lot, I think there are a lot of people who don't watch sports but because of the narrative aspect of movies like yeah. they they can watch they like sports movies. I've seen sports movies before, but none of them stuck with me. They're just like passable action movies most of the time. Nothing like Air Bud or anything like that. I, <laughs> I mean, I would say Sandlot. I think oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. I think the Sandlot is is a super fun movie. I mean, it's not like professional sports, right? And yeah, it's really about a dog. But you know, uh, <laughs> does Ace Ventura count? It's about the NFL. You know, it, it does. Uh, the Laces Miami, out. The Miami Dolphins. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Yes, Ace Ventura. The ultimate sports movie. Yes. Okay. You can tell I'm very much into sports. I I think we've cracked it. Hey, that is. There's there's a big sports twist on that. Ray Finkel! (laughs) 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 Little footballs. Okay, uh, on that note, let's take a break, and then we'll come back, and we'll try to pull apart what works about this Is this our halftime show? This is our... uh, There's no halftime in baseball. Okay, it's sports. Seventh inning stretch. Take (laughs) me out. Okay. Uh, Yeah, that's it. Okay.
The following is paid for by the Coalition for a Better Hollywood. For decades, Big Movie has had Hollywood studios in their back pocket. They spend millions to get you to spend billions on movies that are nothing more than sequels, reboots, remakes, reimaginings, Oscar cliché and January releases. Big movie lobbyists have all but ensured original film ideas are ignored, forgotten, or maybe not even real. Are they feature films? Are they quality flicks? Are they real motion pictures? You're soon to be if not already favorite movie podcast stands with the little movies. Help put an end to big movies cinematic censorship and listen to the pop-up film cast every Tuesday wherever honest hard-working podcasts can be found. We are the pop-up film cast, a proud member of the Podfix network, and we support this message. are back Ooh, some uh dramatic pauses there i'm all about the drama today clearly uh phil rude written by aaron sorkin oh my god he wrote my life story my life is boring enough that he could write it and <laughs> it's probably right up his alley yeah i mean i mean i mean the west wing political show behind the scenes of the White House. The White House offices. It's right. not even really about the president. It's about all the people who work for the president. I would say, though, because we're saying, like, these movies are less about the subject matter and more about what that represents. Uh, and it's true that The West Wing is about people and just politicians being people. But it is about the politics. There is, it, right. There yeah. is policy. There is, these people represent certain viewpoints and stuff right, certain yeah. uh philosophies in in running government yeah um let's talk about what this movie is about um it's not about baseball i this is just from my notes uh this is about second chances this is about hope and this is about disrupting the status quo um that's what i got out of this movie. i would say that's fair um uh, the the last the last one's the the big one it's, yeah i was gonna say that's the biggest <laughs> is they're changing the game. They're proving that there's not one way to go about this. And and they're... I think they're sort of flailing a bit when they do it because it's not only that there isn't just one way, it's like even if there was just one way, we can't afford to do that. Like he yeah. Keeps, he keeps saying, I cannot build a team equivalent to the Yankees with the budget you give me. And it takes him, it takes... And that's what they're trying to do. It is what they're trying to do because it's all they know how to do. Yeah. And it takes him meeting this cubicle monkey at another team. Just a chance meeting to show him like, no, there's another way. There's a better way to do this, you know? Now, my question is, um, they find a new way, you know, that's great. But they're going to run into the same problem, are they not? I mean, even the end credits of this movie says the Red Sox used this method. Right. So it's like, they're going to find this new method of picking players, but then it's going to be the same problem of, okay, now we're valuing those players at what they're worth uh, to a point where the other teams can't afford them, 
and then it's like the same problem. Well, sure. And I mean, this is a this is a story that takes place almost 20 years ago now. And this movie was made about 10 years after after the fact. This is the uh 01 or 02 season. Okay, and it's 2011 the movie. 2011 the movie came out and now we're in 2020 and um I am I am a casual Chicago White Sox fan. I don't really follow baseball as a whole. I don't follow sports as a whole. Um, uh, the White Sox are, are about the closest thing I watch. And But I, I do hear people talk. There are people who talk about this system and talking about like there are managers who are almost following it too closely now where they are saying like, okay, this pitcher on average, is good for about four innings. Well, they go four innings and they pull him, no matter how he's doing. That's you know not I, how an average works. Well, but the, they get to a point where they go, okay, this guy's good for four innings. So they get to four innings and they pull him, even if he's doing good and he's got another two. So it, it yeah. is just sort of like when the scouts are telling him, like, this isn't numbers. You have to know the game. There's an art to it. Those old scouts aren't wrong. Like, there's a weird thing in here where maybe this wasn't the case at the time that the movie was made, but, like, there's almost, there are people who think there's an over-reliance on the the numbers now, where people, where managers aren't paying as close of attention to the game and they're paying too much attention to numbers. So, right. So, th- I think the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle. You know what I mean? Like... There is like, yes, trust the numbers. Find the the whole reason for the numbers as they explain it in here is not like um this is a predictor for the game, but it's to find players who are undervalued by the rest of the league. Yeah. Well, that's kind of like in this movie they find out like what their method is in the beginning. Like and they stick to it the whole time. It's just right. The conflict comes from people uh, pushing back against them, like the other uh, coach or manager, whatever he was. There, yes, there's the manager of the team, Art Art Howe, yeah. who is he's pushing back because he doesn't understand the system. I think I think the flaw in this is that they don't tell anybody what they're doing. They tell the other scouts. He doesn't really tell the manager, so nobody really knows how to work with them. Yeah, I think there's a there's a shift. They they are relying too much on just the numbers, and they need to kind of. Sh- I'm gonna use your word here. They're gonna shift into mixing it, like with the both of them. Right. We watch both methods. This is this is sort of the evolution of of Billy throughout this, and I do like. Um, what did you think about? This is related, but I want to just sidetrack for a second. What did you think about the flashbacks to young Billy Bean as he is being recruited into the major leagues and then over the course of the movie sort of watches out of the major leagues? Like like this idea of being a a young prospect with all of this promise who doesn't live up to it. What did, did you think that was relevant to the story or did you think that was just weirdly spliced in there well i think the way they put it in was maybe a bit weird uh 
but it is relevant. It's his motivation. Um, and it's kind of tied to how he doesn't like, like the other, uh, one of the scouts, the head scout says, uh, oh, is this about the scout being wrong about right. you? Um, which it kind of is. It kind of is, right. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, that's that scout is not entirely wrong. Now, there is something super laughable about, like, the idea of, like, they go, this guy looks good. This guy, uh, this guy's too fat. This guy's girlfriend is too ugly. This guy's uh, trouble off the field. You know, they're yeah. looking at everything except can this guy play baseball in a fundamental way. You know, and it, it's just... It's silly. It is. It's super silly. Um, but when when that scout calls Billy out, he I don't think he's wrong either. I think he's like, you're still mad that you passed on a ride to Stanford to come into the major leagues that you weren't ready for. Like, yeah. There, there's a lot about Billy's backstory that is relevant. And I think a big part of this movie and why these kind of stories are compelling is because it's a character study. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's also relevant in how he feels about uh, the team. Because uh, at first he wants nothing to do with them. Uh, like he doesn't want to get attached to them. Um, um, yes. But he sees, uh, you can tell he sees himself in like the character that Chris Pratt plays. Who has injured himself and he's sort of done for and he goes, no, you're still useful in this way, in this new method. Uh, right. And he helps him to see that. Uh, and over the course of the movie, that helps him to bond more with the team. And that's ultimately what leads to them getting that winning streak. It is It is about... Uh, this is about, I think, the evolution of Billy's character. Where he kind of snaps when he goes into the clubhouse and like smashes a stereo. Yeah. You know, and yells at them like, what are you having a good time? Like that's when he does. You're, you're right. He stops being withdrawn and he starts getting involved with the team. You see him coaching players. Basically he's, he's teaching them how the system works and, you know, take pitches. Don't be impatient. Don't, you know, all of this stuff, uh, where he is, he gets really involved, and that's where the team turns and becomes a winning team. Right. Starts cutting players who do work within the numbers, but aren't working with the team. I mean, yeah. it's the thing is, like, uh, the scouts were ultimately right that this party guy uh, is a problem for the team. Uh, and, and, right. And some, it's not a flawless system, as I think, what, yeah. what it comes down to. Um, People aren't just numbers. Exactly. Exactly. But numbers help you identify who to get. It's it's a balance. But it also, right, it, as as he sees them as more than numbers, he becomes more personally involved. And we see it when he has to cut that guy. That, you know, he gets the player he wants and they have to send somebody back down to the minors. And yeah, he has and he to, feels bad. He has to go cut him, which is the thing he never wanted to do was to have to have a a heart to heart with, you know, and what is for as much as he tells, uh, Pete Jonah Hill's character, like, yeah, you just send them to somebody else's office and let them deal with it. <laughs> yeah. He sits down with that kid and tells him, I, you know, I know what you're feeling. I've been there and this mm -hmm. sucks. And he really like you, you get a sense he is connected to them. And I think ultimately, at least within the story, that's why he stays in Oakland. 
at the end of the, at the end of, he turns down like the highest paying general manager job in pro sports. He feels the loyalty to the team because this is his team and these are his guys. I'm, I'm really glad he did though. I was so worried because I was like, uh, Jonah Hill's character was like arguing like, oh, you're not selling out. You're, this is proving that your system works. And I'm like, yeah, but ultimately the whole problem you're fighting is once someone does good, the better teams, the richer teams snatch them you up got it. and you, it's like you no you, you can't do that well done sir i'm i'm so glad you picked well the I, movie got it I, the movie did get it i always this was it um reading comprehension baby i i i worry about you picking up on all the the sports minutiae because i mean this is a big part of professional sports now is the yankees and the red sox snap up every good player they just shovel money at them until um until they just have this billion dollar team on the field. You right. Know? And and it's just, it's, it makes everything so lopsided. It's why everybody hates the Yankees. It, you know, Oh, they won. Well, of course they won. You know, <laughs> they got a billion dollars on the field, but um, no, I, it really, it brings everything full circle. That's where the movie begins. And that's mm-hmm. where the movie ends is him. Not just opting to stay in Oakland, but him, uh, Practicing what he preaches. Yeah. This is a problem in pro sports. I'm not going to be part of the problem. I'm going to stay here and continue to build this team. Right. Um, uh, can we talk about how funny this movie is? Please. It's funny. That That's all I've got. No, no it is. Uh, it, 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 it's surprising. Like, every time they make a joke, because it's very dry, and you don't expect it coming, and then, the, like, they just hate you with something. And it works. It's all, I think, in the rapport that the characters have with each other. Like, these are just so well-written characters. And the banter, that Aaron Sorkin banter that works so well, that when you have a scene um, like... I think the best scenes in this movie are the scouting team. Right, when, when yeah. they're When they're in the room, like, just everybody's talking at once... Uh, the it it's stitched together really well. So like you get all the good parts of every like you get a, a feeling like this is not a script. This is a bunch of guys sitting around a table talking. Yeah, you know, and but the things that are being talked about, the comebacks, everything is perfect, <laughs> and it's not a quotable movie. Like it's not that kind of funny, but there just is a lot of like. Just odd comedy to this movie. Right. Although I will say the, yes, when I point at you, you talk. Yes. That is. Uh, it, it is. It's great. Yeah. He gets on base. You know, he, 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 <laughs> he get, why Pete? Cause he gets on base. He just over yeah. and over and over. Um, the scene with his ex-wife's new husband trying to talk baseball with him was like out of the IT crowd when they're trying to pretend they're big oh, uh, yeah. uh, uh, football fans. And I, I didn't like that scene. It was, uh, it's just, I, I, did you feel like it was making fun of that guy too much? Yeah. I, they, they were like, oh, here's the new husband. He's effeminate. He doesn't understand sports. I don't think he I has mean, a gay accent. I don't think he, I don't think he was being portrayed as gay. I think he was just I, being portrayed as, 
I don't think it's that not he was... manly, I and I don't like that. Okay, I don't. Think... I was being made fun of by this movie. I think maybe you're. I think maybe that's a little more about you than it is about this movie. Uh, uh, I don't think it was making a judgment call on whether or not this guy knew about sports or whether or not he was an alpha male bro. I think it was. I think the judgment is this guy is not into sports. But he's trying to convince Billy that he is. So it's it's yeah. about this guy's insecurity. I don't think I think if this guy had just been like, yeah, I don't watch baseball, it it's a non-issue. Like there's sure. nothing to poke fun of at this guy. But the fact that this I, guy it's this is, weird thing. Movies always hate the second husband. I I don't like it. It's not just like that I was like, oh, he's not manly and they're making fun of that, which it was. But it's also there's this weird joke where it's like if you have a character who has an ex-wife, they're going to have a new husband or a boyfriend and the movie's going to laugh at them so that the audience who is part of a divorced couple uh, feels better about themselves. Hmm. I I don't. I think there are cheap uh, shots to be taken. Sometimes I think sometimes they don't handle it well. Mm-hmm. I think this actually portrayed um, a very civil uh, divorced couple. Like they, I I felt like they were very civil to each other. They were I civil. He and the new husband. I think they just don't have any common ground. I think it's probably more common than you think where somebody gets divorced. You ever see somebody who gets divorced and then they marry somebody who's exactly like their their first spouse? Sure. And, and they go through like these cycles of like, and it's just sort of like, or you can go the other way and you can marry somebody who's exactly the opposite of your ex-spouse. Yeah. And, but those people are going to be civil. They're not going to have a lot of common ground. And I think that's all this was representing there. The, the the only friction that I really saw was when he goes, oh, she has a cell phone. And he was he was more hurt that, like, he wasn't asked his opinion on that. Yeah. And and the only time I feel like he really uh, reared up against the new husband was when he said, her mother and I will talk about that. Which yeah, I, I get it. I'm not going to lie. I was completely on his side of that. Like... It's yes, that, he's it's, right. It's not that but... the new husband doesn't get a say, because I think they have to. My opinion, I've never been divorced. I've never gone through this. But it is like, yeah, I think all parents need to be involved in conflict. That's just my personal philosophy. I think if somebody is a parent, an involved parent, they get a say in the in how the kid is raised. And, Agreed. And, and things like that. I, I Spoiler alert, I've never been through divorce either. <laughs> but... I don't know. It just felt a little stereotypical, a bit of a cheap shot. And I I was enjoying the humor in this movie so much. And then it got to that scene and I was just like hit with like, come on. See, I don't think I don't think it was bad. I don't know if um, I, I feel like it was nuanced. I feel like everybody in that room was a person. That was not nuanced. Come on. That is I've seen that joke a thousand times. What joke are you talking about? I, that, like, the new husband is overstepping and he needs to stay in line. I didn't think the overstepping was the joke. I didn't, I just, I didn't think there was 
anything wrong with that. I think that was a portrait of an actual mixed family. I think that was a lot more common than than maybe we think it is. I I didn't feel like it was poking fun at anybody. I felt like it was it was definitely from Billy's point of view and Billy is our main character and our kind of good guy. Yeah. I feel like there was an actual uh realistic mixed family portrayal in this movie where things were not perfect and there is some tension and some imperfections but ultimately there was respect for the most part brought by all those parties. His ex-wife calls him. She didn't expect to talk to him. She didn't want to talk to him. Yeah. But she calls him to say, you know, you're doing good stuff. You know what I mean? Like, like there's a, he sees his daughter. He, he, you know, he has a, maybe he's not present all the time, but he does see and support and love his daughter. They all are kind of rallying around this kid and a kid does keep people together, whether there's tension or not. Like, I, I know all that. It's just... I think... I feel like it was portrayed well. I The, don't, the I, stepdad, just everything he did in the whole movie, which he didn't do a lot. One scene. I know, but like, <laughs> you're saying it's nuanced, and it's like, yeah, him and the ex-wife, you can see like, in these small things, they have at least a little bit of... They're civil towards each other, and he has a good relationship with his daughter, but then they just play it like, oh, the stepdad is bad. I don't because think they played it that he was bad. I he think didn't they, do a single good thing. They he didn't he, do a single bad thing either, though. He was awkward. He, he was didn't awkward. understand sports, and he overstepped uh, again. The not understanding sports thing was not his flaw. His flaw was that he tried to pretend that he was instead of just being who he was. He kept he keeps trying to play to Billy. And he's trying so hard to have common ground with him instead of just saying, yeah, we don't really, we come from two different worlds and coming from two different worlds is okay. If, if he, okay. Know, like I, I don't think that it was making I, a judgment on him for not being a sports guy. It was a weird scene that didn't, I didn't understand. It. In truth, Billy Bean as portrayed in this movie is an over competitive bro. That I probably would not hang out with. But he at, smashes too much but stuff. As portrayed in this movie, I root for him and I pull for him. And I think he's clever and funny and a lot of fun to watch. I agree. I just think you can do that without putting other people down. I don't think he put him down. The, the guy, movie put him down. The character put himself down. He was written that way. Someone it's a fictional character. Someone made the conscious See, decision to write, okay, well, you've said it before. Aaron Sorkin is not I'm going sure, off reality I'm here. Sure, I'm sure not, but uh, who cares? So what? So he's a comic relief character. Why is that offensive to you that somebody's written his comic relief? It just felt cheap compared to the rest of this I movie. I don't think it's cheap It at felt all. like they borrowed something from another everybody, less funny Everybody movie. who's comic relief in this movie is a clown and they are and they are doing it to themselves as they're written all the old scouts are these old out of touch guys who don't even understand what fundamental baseball is despite having spent their entire careers in professional baseball that is a joke about these guys who are bringing this hardship on themselves this ex-husband is 
bringing that judgment on himself by just not accepting that he and Billy are two different kinds of guys. It's not a judgment on him for being that guy. It's a judgment on him for trying to pretend like he's not. That's the difference between... How are you getting this from that? I don't see any of that. I don't... Because I, don't I was because I was laughing at the ex-husband and I wasn't laughing at him for not knowing about sports. I was laughing at him for pretending that he did. That's the joke. The that's the difference between someone laughing at you for who you are and someone laughing for you for what you are doing that you shouldn't be. You know what I mean? Somebody somebody who oh, man what? I'm, I'm trying to think of how to put this. If if I a, get what you're saying, I just, that wasn't... It's not making a judgment on people who don't know about sports. I, I get that now. I get that. I know he was overcompensating. I wouldn't have done that. But I just think... Okay, so don't take it personally. Okay, but I'm not just taking it personally. There are two issues I have. One is that it's making fun of people who don't like sports. And you're saying it doesn't. No, I get it doesn't. that. <laughs> Shut up for a second. It doesn't. Okay, I get that. Whatever. I still have the problem with it's it's stereotypical in the issue of divorce. It makes the stepdad look bad. I I don't like that. It's very heteronormative and just ridiculous. That's my take on it. That's it. That's it. It's heteronormative. Because he doesn't get made fun of for not liking sports. I'm talking about the divorce thing now. I'm not talking about the... No, it's... There's this weird thing with straight couples and divorce. Now we're going off on like... This whole past five minutes has been nothing about the movie. But like... This is everything about the movie. This is about the nuance of the movie. This is about how characters in this movie seem real. I think this seems real. I think this seems like uh, I think this seems like a a very representative of a couple who is divorced. One of the parties is remarried. There's some tension. There's some friction. Ultimately, everybody gets along, but it's an imperfect. It's an imperfect system. I okay. My that's all. I feel like it's representing. If that's stepping on toes, I don't know what to tell you. Okay, I... For reference, I know almost no divorce couple... I know, like, two divorced couples that I've met in my entire life. Okay. Um, And so all of my representation of divorce has come from media. And it's always this joke about how the main character is better than the new husband and it just feels cheap and it feels wrong and it's like get over yourself i someone can remarry and that doesn't mean they're wrong they're two different people like you said uh and they can just accept that Nobody... but this movie paints it like he's better than the stepdad i don't think it paints it as that at all I, d I really think you're you're over defending. It's a stereotype that I've seen constantly. I, I don't think this I don't think it represents like new husband bad, old husband good. Nobody's like 
they're not competing over the wife anymore. There, there's no competition here. Uh, I, I just, I don't understand. I think you're, I think you're nitpicking this very minor detail in this one scene this guy is in, and and painting it into like, oh, this is somehow offensive to, I don't even know what. I don't even know what what this. It's is not offensive. offensive. It's just cheap. I've seen way worse. And more blunt and and pointed, dumb jokes about divorce. I think this is an actual like semi healthy picture of a divorced family. I I really I I don't know where you're getting it from. I've, okay, maybe it's because I've seen so many divorced people, and I've seen so many divorced people who have very unhealthy relationships with their exes with their new partners with you know and can't be in the same room to i i just i don't know how people with kids that behave that way right. do it by comparison this little bit of friction and this sort of weird dynamic shift between the two uh husbands it seems like a cakewalk to me it's like i i just like, don't think there needed to be any friction that scene could have gone fine i think without... they're trying i think they're trying to portray that like he is in a situation that it it is imperfect and there is tension there. But at the end of the... Doesn't that make the phone call from his wife that much sweeter? Like, hey, we don't see eye to eye on everything. And we're still figuring this out. But... She could have been not remarried and that would have still been... But It just had no relevance think, to the story. I, I think you have to see it. I think you have to see that what their relationship looks like in order to appreciate that the balls that it took her... I, I know that's a mixed metaphor. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the balls that it took her to pick up the phone and make that call and and to say, hey, I'm, I'm proud of you. You know, this... I, I think that makes it I think it's that's the contrast that makes the payoff to that so sweet. It is just like the rest of this movie, the the payoff that they they get the winning streak, that they become a winning team, it doesn't work without them struggling in the first half of the season. Without them simply going, This is a numbers game. I, I think there's a lot of contrast in this movie that makes it work. Um, Billy's relationship with his daughter, even. We see who Billy is all the way through it. Her song at the end that she makes a CD for him, right? Yeah. Uh, that song is all about, um, be in the moment. Enjoy, enjoy the show. I, I don't have the lyrics in front of me, but it is about, you know, you're a loser. She she calls him a loser. Yeah. It's all this loving joke. Uh, yes, he did lose, you know, the, the championship series. Yes, but he's not upset by that. She's telling him, live in the moment, live in the moment. He spent all his time looking at winning the World Series. Got to win the last game of the season or none of it matters. That's the dichotomy. That's what makes that song at the end. Part of it is, yes. The relationship with his daughter it's super sweet and it's super emotional and and lovely. another thing to add stakes i think i i think so i most of the family stuff seemed pointless to me 
I, I like the stuff with his daughter because it does, that is the contrast with Billy. He's not a Zen guy. He's playing the most Zen game of all time, baseball. Zen? Is this Zen, this very in the moment, this very sort of quiet, meditative thing. That's the thing about baseball that's so great. You think hitting a ball and running around is Zen? Sure. I'm okay. Yeah. You got to be paying attention all the time. Exactly. That's not calming. No, that's what. What do you. What? Isn't Zen calm? Of course it's peaceful cool. and relaxing it's being and... in the moment it's letting go of the anxiety you're not thinking of later you're not thinking of what did happen in order to be good at baseball you have to be there right there in the moment that's what zen is zen I, is like being right here right now for me sports is all anxiety well it's, I, it's tension but it's not anxiety anxiety is thinking about the past or thinking about the future and not being where you are you you're either upset about something that happened or you're worried about something that will happen well, when you're playing sports, you're strategizing your next step. You're, you're strategizing, but as the game is being played, as you're on the field, you have to wa- you have to watch every pitch. You have to follow the ball, and you only do that by being there. Hmm. Baseball is a super zen game. Billy's not a zen guy. He's always looking forward. Always. Yeah. Or he's looking back at his career that didn't pan out. I didn't pan out because he wasn't there mentally. But what makes the payoff at the end with his daughter, his daughter is giving him advice. (laughs) Enjoy where you're at today, dad. That's what that song is. He makes her sing it. And she does. And she records it for him. And so at the end of the day, she's giving him advice. That's the payoff. Here's Billy. He's a mess. Here's his daughter. Calm down, Dad. Like you, you don't, you don't get that payoff of her song without seeing him be, be this, uh, this buzzing ball of energy who is everywhere except where he is. Yes. Uh, I'm gonna need to watch this movie a second time because you're taking stuff out of nowhere and. Taking it out of nowhere. No, I'm I, it out of the movie. I know it's in the movie. I don't. I didn't make any of these connections. He goes and works out during the game. He doesn't want to be there for the game. He's very superstitious. I got that. Yeah, but what? That's he, a very obvious. What, what's he do though while he's working out? He's not paying attention to his workout. He's no. worried about the game. He's switching it on and off. He turns it on and off. He keeps checking in with but it. But if he watches, he thinks he's gonna ruin it. That's right. Yeah. That's the obvious thing. I don't know where. You're, but that's that's the thing the I'm other talking about. Is... Like he's, but that's part of the Zen thing too. He's he's not. If he really wants to break away from the game, he needs to just go do his workout. But he can't do that. He goes to his workout, and he keeps checking in with the game. Text me, Pete. Tell me what's going on. He keeps flipping the sound on. I won't look at it, but I'll flip the sound on. He smashes his radio. First scene in the in the movie. Yeah. He smashes his radio because he's mad that he checked on the game too much. I just thought this was a guy with anger issues. It is. Because he's not where he is. He's everywhere else. He has expectations built up too much. Okay. Yeah. I mean, like, that's... But that's that's the payoff that makes his daughter... That's the contrast. Again. I'm hitting things now. <laughs> <laughs> that's the contrast... All the time that I think that's where the payoffs are is you don't 
the the daughter's song is sweet, but it's it's twice as impactful when put up against the rest of the the rest of what we see of Billy. Well, it, I it, I thought mainly just like there's like oh this guy flipping out in his office and then oh here he's making ice cream for his daughter that too, that too. I mean you see I you see I didn't the two see it as a zen thing I just thought this is the duality it's, of a man it's it's part of the zen thing isn't the whole thing but it is I mean it, it is the duality of Billy you see him being very much a hard ass uh in the clubhouse yelling at his players flipping out on his scouts. Uh, uh, throwing chair, that chair coming out of the office oh is so God. funny. But then, yes, you see him having ice cream with his daughter. You see him buying her a guitar and saying, please, please play for me, please. You see him being this very sweet dad. Yeah. You know, and I think that's, these contrasts is what makes each side of the contrast more impactful. Uh, the, the, the wife's call is sweet, but it's twice as sweet when contrasted against the tension we saw earlier. The, the great payoff of the winning the winning streak really only works I mean this is sports movie trope is the team sucks but then they pull it together yeah you have to have both sides of it to make the winning seem that much more impactful I I think this is a guy that needs to figure out how to manage his emotions think, like just how to feel them he I, Yes. ignores them all the time well that's part of what, what even in the sweet moments he's denying all of the stuff that his daughter is asking if he just talked to his daughter about yes i am worried that my team is losing and that i'm bad at my job uh he so could have gotten that job? out i know <laughs> but, but yeah, he felt but like, like it right. and he just that pushes he it all down and then beats up a radio later like but, but what's he but what's he also say to his daughter that i think is like so, uh, this is like one of the great lines that i think so many of us can like really hold on to tell is, her not to worry when he says he says my problems are uptown problems which are not problems at all i mean what are uptown problems he, i didn't get that line he's a he's a rich guy and his problems are not real people problems you know what i mean like we talk this this movie is almost ten years old, and this is before there was a mainstream conversation about privilege in this country. Mm-hmm. This is this is very cognizant. This is a guy who's very cognizant of the fact that like I'm a well paid general manager of a professional sports team. I thought he was poor. They portray it as poor because I think rich people don't handle their money well, and if they don't constantly have income coming, <laughs> sure, but. I mean, I don't know what a general manager of the Oakland A's 20 years ago gets paid, but... Well, I mean, in the same movie, they have a conversation where he's like, I'm a high school graduate who's in his 40s and sure. has never done anything other than this. As, fa- as far as that goes, yes. he. I'm sure he has some money put away, but he probably, you know... He doesn't have many as prospects. As far as being 45, right, and and, and without much other credentials if he gets drummed out of baseball he has to start all over somewhere yeah that's that and he again that's another contrast where he's going this is me you're a yale graduate (laughs) and you're 25 you're right ridiculous you 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 have but he you know i think part of it is he's trying to quell his daughter's fear and part of it is, is i think really pragmatic when he's saying like yeah i'm not i'm not at a point where if I lose this job, I'll be homeless. 
I, you know what I mean? Like yeah. this idea of, of He's being well destitute. off enough. He understands like I've, I've had a pretty charmed life so far. My problems in the greater, in the big scheme of problems are not, you know, like a lot of us, I think when we complain about things, if you, if we take a step back, we go, I, you know, I don't have it so bad. Which is weird that he says that, but then doesn't practice it until the end of the movie. Well, there's still stakes. I mean, he still does have a job. He still, I think, enjoys his job. I think yeah. I think he loves his job, honestly. And I think he loves working for Oakland as, as you know, by the end of the movie, that's where he stays. Yeah. Um, but also, uh, I want to take this to my note where this is a movie about second chances. He washed out as a player. This is his second chance. And this is sort of like his redemption arc. And also this new sim- uh, new system gives a second chance to these overlooked players. Exactly. Uh, Chris Pratt's character. Who, right. Who is a catcher who can't throw the ball anymore. And playing first base for a bottom of the, you know, the basement dwelling team. He is worth, you know, maybe not what he was looking for, but... It's a chance to play baseball still, you know, like, yeah. and, and it's you, kind of his last chance. It, exactly. And, and, you know, people like David Justice, who by that time in his career was old and like they, they keep pointing out he's slow. He's his best years are behind him. Nobody wants him anymore. Mm-hmm. And he has that talk with him where he's like, I'm not playing, paying you for who you used to be. I'm paying you for the ball player that you are today. Cause I see the value in you. Right. Like these these are people who have not been valued by pro baseball. And he's saying, I see the value in you. And he's like, someone who hasn't been valued by pro baseball. Exactly. And I mean, we I think most of us can identify I got like oddly emotional at a couple points in this movie because I think a lot of us have been when somebody tells us that, hey, I see value in you. Like it's one of those things you don't hear enough. Like, none of us hear that enough. When someone says, I see value in you, like, you go, oh, my God, I'm not out of this yet. You know, like, it's the idea of second chances. The the idea of, I think all of us have felt undervalued by somebody at some point in our lives. And not uh, me. No. Well, I mean, (laughs) clearly, you're freaking awesome. Like, exactly. (laughs) Who who would not see the value in you? How do you undervalue that? (laughs) But I think, like, very strangely, I I just there was a couple turns in this movie I did not expect to to feel emotional, and I did just because I would identify with these second chance things and and, mm. and these these themes that sort of are under the surface, but I think are very clearly there. Chris Pratt's character um, is it's a really small role, but that that scene where they go to his house, I think it's. Like, he's clearly a very sad guy because he can't play baseball anymore. Right. And, and he has this family. Yeah, it's like Christmas time and he gets yeah. this second chance. And it's it's oddly on the nose, but also, like, a, a little heartwarming, you know? Like, it's it's kind of nice. It's, it's interesting. Sweet. I didn't... I didn't connect emotionally with this movie the way you did. And wait till you're 45 and feeling like your career is going nowhere. Uh, you'll, <laughs> you'll, you'll, you'll kind of go, oh, I feel slightly hopeful in watching Moneyball right now. Fair enough. <laughs> but um, 
Uh, yeah, that's um, that's most of my. Yeah. Oh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. I just wanted to. Who's he? He played the manager. He played Art Howe. Um, the the one who was like fighting him the whole movie. Yeah, yeah the guy who actually manages. The okay, team there's like thirty the... managers. Well, uh, uh, Billy Bean was the general manager. He's like a front office guy. Right. Then there's the guy paying them. Uh, he's the team owner. And then okay. uh, Art Howe was the manager of the team who actually manages the on, you know. I see, the, the, yeah. You mm-hmm. know, but, um, yeah, I mean, he's he plays Art Howe, and he doesn't look exactly like Art Howe. But he sort of, like, still captures this essence of a a baseball manager, sort of a, a pudgy, uh, kind of old codger, but... Philip Seymour Hoffman also played, like, he played Lester Bangs in Almost Famous. He played Truman Capote in Capote. He has this way, or had this way, sadly passed, like, not long after this movie. Um, Philip Seymour Hoffman had this way of sort of, like, embodying the essence of a, of real-life people. Right. Even if he didn't look exactly like him, he could kind of chameleon his their energy into just really like it's like an snl cast member uh, uh yeah uh seriously but not like comedic like yeah i, I mean but like, i i think one of the most striking scenes in this movie is when uh they go into his office after he's uh he's traded some players oh, yeah uh and he's he's a mix of sad and angry yeah and you can see tears in his eyes and he's just I think, oh he's my ang- God. I think he's more angry than sad, where he, he just is so mad that he's been undermined, you know? Right. Um, it's like, what is... He could do anything. Right. Yeah. Uh, and when Jonah Hill's like, you want me to close this door? <laughs> like, it's just like the most awkward exit. Not the time. Um, but yeah, like, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, seriously, like, what a what a loss for, for acting. He was just so good. And little, like, this is just a supporting role in this. In this movie, which was a relatively small movie, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, um, I haven't heard of this movie. Uh, but, God, he brought so much to it. Like, what a, just, uh, he just strikes me as such a great actor, especially when you see him playing a real-life person, and he, mm-hmm. he kind of captures that energy. If if anyone has not seen Almost Famous, you can, I recommend watching the movie, because it's freaking great, but you can even just, like, YouTube his scenes as Lester Bangs, who is a real life rock journalist. Um, and it, he's, they're called geologist dad. <laughs> well played, sir. Thank you. I have to give you that one. Science jokes. <laughs> oh my God. He's great as Lester Bangs. He's just like high energy and a total clown. And, and I, I recognize him from yeah. something. I just don't know what. I'm sure you've seen him and stuff. He was, I mean, Relatively short career, uh, tragically, um, but uh, was in yeah. so, so much stuff and so memorable, you know, in regardless of the fact that I forgot he was in this movie. <laughs> like, seriously, like, I mean, just, you know that guy and you see that guy around, you know? Yeah, one of those actors. Yeah, for sure. Um, that's that's what I got for this movie. You got anything else you want you want to hit on before we move on? I don't know. You you had more than me. Uh, uh I don't know. I think 
We've ran it dry. That it? Okay, cool. Yeah. Home right. run. Well, I'm going to go uh, watch The West Wing all in, in I'm going to marathon The West Wing this week. This this movie has spurred me to it. Right after an election. Ooh. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, I'm going to leave that one there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's close this out and uh, uh, move on to two shout-outs. You doing shout-outs? Yeah, let's do it. All what right. Do you, what do you got this week, Austin? This week... Uh, I have a band actually. Cool. Uh, they're called Half Alive. Half Alive. All right. Uh, their most recent album is Now Not Yet. Uh, I discovered them like a few months ago. Um, and honestly, I don't even know how to describe them, other than they're a kind of indie uh pop. Okay. Uh, with a lot of uh like R and B. And kind of funk thrown in there. Okay. Uh, like a lot of upbeat, a lot of fun. Uh, their music videos are really cool too. Uh, a lot of neon. Um, hmm. It's just very upbeat. Like I turn on this album whenever I need to listen to something fun. Uh, whether I'm doing like laundry or just whatever. Awesome. Oh, good laundry folding music. Oh yeah, that's, yeah. That's where it's at. Yeah. That's how you judge good music. Hell yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's just these three guys, and they're good at writing music. Okay. I'm I'm not good at talking about music, but this is a band I recommend. It's... I think it's like that universal, like, almost anyone will like this in a good way, not in a bad way, not in like a radio. Right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, it's just independent, good independent music. Yeah. Feel good, not too moody, not emo. Mm-hmm. Uh, cool. It sounds uh, like... It a, makes you want to dance. Like an odd mix. Like, uh, not odd, but like uh, just that R&B and, R and funk, you said? So it's yeah, just with, kind of like it's a, a bit electric, too. Okay, uh, so sort of like EDM kind of stuff, or... Like a little electric. bit. It's more like hints of R&B and stuff. Okay. It's mostly indie pop. Like, very electric, very uh, upbeat, a lot of drums and stuff. Cool. Yeah. All right. It's my recommend. What half, about you? Half Alive. Half Alive. I will check that out. You know, we'll, the Spotify link will be in our show notes. Uh, and while you're on Spotify, just go over to the last podcast network for mine. I am going to throw out... Yes, we are on the heels of an election. No, I am not going to talk politics. But if you want to talk politics or listen to it, uh, the last podcast network has a show called Abe Lincoln's Top Hat. And I think it is, uh, it's entertaining, but it's not cable news entertaining po political speak. It is very frank speak about uh, things that are happening uh, mostly federal government because it's a podcast. It's for everybody. It's on a national level. Yeah. Uh, but how, just like people's opinions, uh, it is. Uh, uh, ben Kissel and Travis Morningstar host it, uh, and they are commenting on big political news stories of the week. They do break down. Hey, here's the Twitter reaction. Here's what's actually happening. <laughs> right. Here's, sometimes it's like the Twitter reaction is correct. Sometimes they're like. Okay, actually, we need to step back and rethink that. Uh, um, you know, we need to take a look at this pragmatically. 
it, um, uh, Travis is a pretty liberal guy. Ben, uh, uh, Ben Kissel was a libertarian, sort of a centrist. It's all very middle of the road, very factual, but also very much coming from a regular person's point of view. It's, yeah. I, I think it's, I think it's great political commentary. Um, I've seen them give props to both sides, politicians, even a very volatile president who was very divisive, even though they very much did not like him when he did had some victories, they acknowledge it. It's very, sure. it's very, um, I mean, I don't want to say non-biased, but I think a very fair, independent political podcast. Well, well, I think part of being uh, factual is like this, being upfront, here is my bias. Sure. You yeah. might see that in some of what I say, but I'm going to try to speak about the facts. I, I, I recommend this to a lot of people, uh, so I thought I'd bring it here because, yeah, we're right on the heels of... <laughs> of the 2020 very election. topical uh, but i do recommend this people who want political speak i recommend i'm like this is not something that is going to get you angry it is not something that is there to to throw gas on the fire this is just i think very layman's terms political commentary and and mm -hmm. i really i really enjoy the show and i know a few other uh of my friends that enjoy the last podcast guys it's it's a great way to take in your politics. They interview uh, documentary filmmakers. They interview uh, politicians, uh, so, some of which are not on the national stage. Some of them, they just have some good ideas. They interviewed the uh, Jill Jorgensen, the Libertarian candidate yeah. this year. Um, it just it's really interesting. Uh, good political speak from a lot of different angles. So. Uh, Interesting. Yeah, I, I can't talk about it much more without getting into politics. So uh, uh, I'm just going <laughs> to... Screw this guy! <laughs> gonna, uh, yeah. I'm going to uh, put that link in the show notes um, and and go from there. It's all on Spotify. So Okay. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Picture Show with Austin and Phil Rude. If you enjoy our show, please leave a review on your podcatcher of choice. If you don't enjoy our show, you probably didn't make it this far. Another way to help us grow is to... Tell a friend about it. It's kind of like a sports team. You got to be vocal about who you support. Right, guys? That's right. Wear your, wear your picture show jerseys. Oh, yeah. Uh, number one. That's that's me. You're number two. That's For cool. obvious reasons. That's cool. <laughs> number two's the best, though. Uh, <laughs> I don't know where to go from Just that. Just wrap this up. Okay. <laughs> Austin, you have uh, our our movie pick next week. What are we watching? We are watching uh, sort of political Twelve Angry Men. Oh, cool. It's not yeah. political. It's a courtroom drama. Well, judicial branch. Uh, <laughs> I think it's a little okay. more local level, but uh, <laughs> fair enough. Uh, have you ever seen this before? I have. I watched it in seventh grade civics oh, class. Cool. It's embedded. I don't remember. Yeah. Like, the plot itself, but I remember I was the only person in the class who enjoyed this black and white movie. Uh, awesome. So I'm hoping to watch it, and I hope I still like it. I, re I remember reading the play in high school English, um, but I don't remember okay. much about it. I've never seen the yeah. movie, so...
Very cool. It's a 50s movie, I believe. I believe so. Um, and it's, and it's a classic. Yes. I When I was looking for how we would watch it, it is free on YouTube. Uh, it's got some ads here and there, but like, if you want to watch it with us, that's your that's your way. Please do. Yes. Check it out, and we will be back to talk about it next week. Austin, social media. I'm going to try to not mess it up this week. No. <laughs> I'm uh, austin.n.rude at... Uh... <laughs> oh, come on. Oh, uh, man, he's so close. TikTok and Instagram, and Twitter is just austin.n.rude. I need to fix that, but you can't change your Twitter handle. It's very frustrating. Oh, man. Well, I guess you won't be fixing it then. I guess I can't. I am philrude.com. You can get all my social media handles from there, or just hit me up on Instagram at philrude75. That's the one I spend the most time on. Austin, do you want to read the credits? Yep. We did everything ourselves. There you have it. We'll see you next time on The Picture Show. See ya. See ya.